Hello, my name is Morgan Gray, and welcome back to the Afrocentric Podcast. Yet our best trained, best educated, best equipped, best prepared troops refuse to fight. Matter of fact, it's safe to say that they would rather switch than fight. Nobody act black and then go home and be white. I got two pistols and a pit bull. Me. That's all I need. It only takes a little bit of white brainwash to activate the cool chip in the average Negro. You think Harriet Tubman was walking around with a fucking nice shiny fucking dress on with a fucking crown on her head when she was taking slaves to freedom? And a lot of white folk have demonstrated eloquently that they don't have no sense. back with the afrocentric podcast the title of this episode is entitled freestyle one get up and vote young people no cap and if there are any bloods listening no bap because i like to be inclusive with my teachings and lessons anyway do you guys miss me i know you do because if i were you i would miss me too I heard you bitches was looking for me. Bitch, here I go. I heard you bitches was looking for me. Bitch, here I go. So this episode today is dedicated to a phenomenal woman that I have been working with this summer. Her name is Miss Myrtle from Port Gibson, Mississippi. Um Working with the Southern Poverty Law Firm this summer has been the highlight of my year. And I'm so grateful to have had this opportunity. So this summer we came up with advocacy plans. And of course I came up with my own advocacy plan, but I was so inspired by Ms. Myrtle's advocacy plan, which she entitled, Get Up and Vote Young People, No Cap. 
She said, because, yeah, that's what the young folks say, because that is indeed what the young people say here in Mississippi. And I really wanted to place the emphasis on the importance of voting in black communities and the historical rights of voting in black communities. Really, the goal of this episode is really to address the concerns of the black baby boomers in our community that fear that younger generations really won't carry on the tradition of voting or really taking pride in voting. I want to say to the black baby boomers that our generation pushes back against this narrative. And I am here to be the martyr, to be the liaison, to be the great communicator that I am to argue the fact that this generation, Generation Z, has the highest voting rates and is becoming more involved in politics. And this episode is going to be addressing modern attempts to divide the black folks, including the black man, to conservative Christian pipeline. So all in all, this episode is a call to action. It is really imperative that our community starts early to start educating on politics, talking about what politicians are going to be the best for our community to start rallying, to start getting people signed up or registered to vote and supporting topics like black um, black voting and black politics on a local, statewide and national level. This episode is dedicated to us as a people. It's time for us to start preparing because we're going to get ready to enter the most important presidential election, especially in the state of Mississippi, governor election that we're going to be seeing. It's important. So it's time for us to start talking about these topics early so that we do not fall behind. Do you plan on voting? Do you live in the state of Mississippi? Do you have questions surrounding voting that you just don't know who to ask? Um, I'll be happy to answer those questions for you. I am a member of Fair Count. I am an organizer, and I'm so excited to talk to you guys about Fair Count as a nonpartisan 501c3 anchored in Georgia, and they are super active throughout the Deep South and the nation. So, Fair, as a member of Fair Count, we work on every iteration of civic engagement, the census, redistricting, and voting. And as we know, it is the same communities being undercounted in the census that are underrepresented in the polls and who often see their electoral power torn apart in redistricting. At Fair Count, we believe that democracy is stronger when it's equitable and all eligible voters have fair access. We use data-driven, creative, and bold approaches and partner with community members to build long-term power in those communities that have been undercounted and underrepresented. Now, I'm here to tell you guys to be a prepared voter. Being a prepared voter is being a protected voter. Make sure to check your voter registration today. The last day to register to vote for the 2023 general election is October 10th. Make sure that you are visiting Y'all Vote Mississippi, the website, um, to check out your voter registration. Make sure that you are having your ID because the ID is needed for election day voting. If you have any questions about voter ID, make sure you call 1-866-MS-VOTER. And another resource you can pull from is the MSSOS office.
What are your thoughts on the blatant attack on black people's voting rights in this country? Well, white folks are mad. Mm -hmm. Doubly mad. Georgia voted Democrat for the first time in almost 20 years. The rednecks down south don't like that. Stacey Abrams handed Joe Biden Georgia on a silver platter. And they said, this ain't going to happen again. So now they down there rolling back the rights. And you know who it looks like they're targeting when you look at the, the new requirements? Black elderly and black ex-offenders. Now they're saying even if you send in an absentee ballot, you have to have ID. They want a driver's license or some other state-issued ID. Well, guess what, Charlemagne? If I'm an elder and I'm 70, 80 years old on a fixed income, I don't drive. I ain't got no driver's license, and I ain't got time to go down to the state and stand in no long line to get some new state ID. I'm just not going to vote. They're taking away the convenience and the efficiency of voting to inconvenience ex-offenders and the black elderly so they don't vote at all. And then they say you can't give out no water or snacks in line. Charlemagne, if I'm out in the Georgia sun, I'm out in the Georgia sun, and there's 200 people in this line, and I got to stand here for about three hours, and I'm 70 or 80 years old with diabetes or cancer or whatever else I'm dealing with, or just good old-fashioned being an old person. I need a little snack. I need some fruit. I need some water. They won't even let them give them that. This ain't nothing but America taking us all the way back to Jim Crow justice and Willie Lynch law. We are reliving. And it's just getting started. We are reliving the 1920s through the 1960s all over again. And if you think the Georgia voting laws are something, have you seen that over 31 state legislatures have introduced new bills that will stem people's ability to protest? Mm -hmm. And these states are saying that if you get caught protesting, Charlemagne, and that protest mm -hmm. was not sanctioned, you will never get a state job. You will not get a college loan. You will not get public housing. You won't get food stamps. You won't get Medicare, Medicaid. And in at least two states, guess what they said? They are exempting motorists from any responsibility whatsoever if they run over protesters in the street who did not have a legal uh, permission to protest. Yeah, I read that today. They're trying to pass all these anti-riot bills but not police reform? Exactly. They basically saying if you are a protester, we want people to run your ass over, kill you, and we don't want you to be held accountable for it. This is what America is all about. America has never changed. America has been consistent. Now, before I can get into the main topic of today, I really want to give an analysis as well as background of the history behind the black community and the voting rights in America. Okay, so. The struggle for voting rights in African Americans for African Americans in our communities in the United States is extremely long and it's complex. So I'm going to try to condense it down in a way that you all will be able to understand it. A I E I I A in other words, put it into layman terms. So the original United States Constitution did not define voting rights for citizens, and until 1870, only white men were allowed to vote. So the Constitution contains absolutely no explicit right to vote whatsoever. Instead, it merely states that anyone that is eligible to vote for the largest house of a state's legislator is um, also eligible to vote for members of the House of Representatives from that state. Now, the 15th Amendment that was ratified in 1870 extended rights to vote to men of all races, but this does not always translate into the ability to vote, okay? So black voters were systemically turned away from state polling site, sites, right? 
and many African Americans who attempted to vote were also threatened and they were threatened physically and they also feared losing their jobs. So around the Reconstruction era and when it ended in 1877, a lot of these states across the South really implemented new types of laws in order to restrict the voting rights of African American people specifically. Now, this includes a crap ton of requirements of owning property or paying poll taxes and passing literacy tests or civics exams. Now, let's take a pause because I don't really know if people really remember learning about stuff like this in class, but um, it definitely was stress. When Black people were put in these predicaments to go out and vote, it was based off of the determination of whoever was hosting these literacy tests or civics exams. So there's always going to be the story of how down in the South they would have large mason glasses and they would fill them to the brim with jelly beans and they would tell them to guess how many jelly beans were in the mason jar and if they did not get it correct they were not eligible to vote or in a more tricky manner you can always talk about how during these literacy exams oftentimes they would ask an uh, a newly free person to read the constitution or to recite the constitution knowing that for generations and generations at a time a lot of these black people were kept from knowing how to read so the lot they were able to read oftentimes they would lie oftentimes they would say that they did not get a word correct or they miscited something or they would just come up with an excuse to keep them from being able to vote so a lot of people really were not placed in a position where they could go vote and a lot of times a lot their bodies were put on the line and they always have incorporated scare tactics, especially during after the Reconstruction era and during the Civil Rights Movement. And you can still see scare tactics within the voting centers throughout the South to this very day. Um, I, so we're thinking about this. We're thinking about how this specifically affected African-American communities. And despite this passage of many laws and amendments, Black people still found it extremely difficult to vote, even 50 years after the 15th Amendment was passed. So the Civil Rights Movement really played this major role in the fight for rights, with many activists involved in voter registration drives. And during voters, um, voters to the poll, teacher and literacy classes, for the purposes of voter registration, as well as encouraging local African-American people to run as candidates. Now, I must say that after emancipation, Mississippi had a boom in Black political leaders. They had, I want to say, their first Black person elected to the state of representat representatives right after emancipation. So this is when they really started to enforcing these literacy laws and literacy tests because they were so afraid because as soon as black people were given the right to be able to go and vote, they bombarded the system because their voices 
is something that they wanted to be heard and they made it their mission to make sure that their voices were heard in these situations so this is why they came up with this tactic now the landmark voting rights act of 1965 was passed by congress and it took major steps to curtail voter suppression prohibiting the states from using literacy tests and other methods of excluding african americans from voting however this struggle for voting rights is still continues it continues to this day with new and old efforts to limit the political power of black americans and other voters of color and the national archives holds these records relating to the mass voting actions such as freedom summer as well as records about the long struggle for equality of voting rights now while we're on this topic i think that it is important to focus on the importance of voting in the black community specifically now voting in and of itself is extremely important because it is a way for black communities to honor this legacy of those who fight for the right to vote in our country like people quite literally died because it was the constitutional way for your rights to be heard for 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 your issues to be addressed so that the people that govern and who are over us will do the right thing and honor this legacy of helping uplift and push us forward so again the right to vote was not always guaranteed for african-american people and we have faced these systemic barriers when it comes to voting so that it, um it, when it really comes to voting so I want to place this emphasis on the fact that black citizens today have the highest voter turnouts across racial groups. And despite this, many still blame black voters when certain candidates lose elections, making us an easy scapegoat. However, it is important to place an emphasis on the fact that research does show us that black people might actually be more committed to voting as they often face systemic barriers and long wait times. This is our legacy and it is something that we all know is important. We are coming to this period where the tides are turning and generations are starting to die out. And I really hate to say that, but it is the truth especially since the marker of the pandemic in 2020, we saw a large proportion of our elder community, which would be the silent generation and the baby boomers completely just wiped out and is leaving a few elders. And for those who are still here and still rocking with us, I commend you so much for your dedication, so much for your voices because you are the ones who kept our community together. But to you all who identify as baby boomers and silent generation, as well as the elder millennials, I must say that it is time to pass the baton on. And I know that that is very hard to accept, but that is really the root of this conversation, or at least it is one of them. So we're getting to this point 
in American politics where the people who are supposed to be the representatives of us do not represent us in likeness. We are starting to see Mitch McCain. Lord have mercy that he, oh Jesus, like a couple weeks ago, we saw Mitch McCain literally have a stroke on national TV while he was answering questions. And if that's not a red flag to you, I don't know what to tell you. But Mitch McConnell has been in his position and in different positions of power for decades. And he has been running the Republican Party, placing strategies everywhere you look. And he is upholding the legacy of white supremacy. And he has not sat down yet. No, he's he been running from Jesus a long time and he ain't got tired yet. So Mitch McConnell had a stroke. Let's go, baby. He ain't he's still walking around, but we in the end game now, baby. Mitch McConnell. If you don't know who Mitch McConnell is, congratulations. You live a blessed life. He is the second most powerful man in the U.S. Senate. He is the leader of the Republican Party in the United States Senate. The reason why you couldn't get, why you couldn't get student loan debt forgiveness, Mitch McConnell, that motherfucker packed the courts. The reason why every woman in your life is constantly, constantly checking her flow cycle to make sure that some kid ain't going to show up while she's standing in the wrong state, that's Mitch McConnell packing them fucking courts. The reason why everything at the federal level fucking sucks is because of a series of plans hatched by Mitch McConnell. Because that man hatched them because he is a walking turtle with a fucking gizzard hanging off his face. And here's the thing. This shit happened. He was live, standing at a fucking podium, mid-sentence, stop talking. Mitch McConnell is an ancient old man because hate will never die. And he stood there, mid-sentence, just froze. Eyes got big. Turned to the person next to him. Didn't know where he was. Didn't fucking know. And you know what that means? That means that he ain't long for this earth. We are all. You need to fuck. Listen to me. You need to live just a little bit longer. You are about to live in a world where Mitch McConnell is not a part of it. It is so close. We can all taste it. And I saw people online already be like, well, that's that's rude. Do not wish ill. This man has wished ill upon every American. Hold on. Let me show you something real quick. I am in I am in an Arby's parking lot. This is an Arby's. Okay? Ain't no sympathy in an Arby's parking lot. Treat treat Mitch Mc, the news of Mitch McConnell's health the same way an Arby's beef and cheddar treats your colon. Okay? Just let it just blast it on through and enjoy it as it goes down. You see him, and you also see the representative over in um, Florida. I believe her name is Ruby. Ruby. She's like in her 80s, and she was in the middle of a press conference a couple weeks ago, and she completely forgot where she was. Senator Dianne Feinstein, back from an absence of several months while battling shingles, is interviewed by Benjamin Oreskes of the Los Angeles Times. And she appears to have no memory whatsoever of having been away for those three months. How are you feeling since you've oh, returned? I'm feeling fine. Yeah. I have a problem with the leg. The leg? Yeah. What's wrong with it? Well, not, nothing. Nothing? It's anyone's concern. Okay. But mine. Um, what has the response from your colleagues been like? What are the well wishes? What have you heard? What have I heard about what? About your return. How have they felt about your no, return? No, I haven't been gone. Okay. Um, you should follow them. I haven't been gone. I've been 
working. You've been working from home is what you're saying? No, I've been here. Um, I've been voting. Please, either know or don't know. Um, what do you say to uh, Californians like Ro who say you should resign? This is a really sad and tough situation. And as I've said before, Dianne Feinstein has an incredibly storied career in the Senate. She is the longest serving Democratic member of the Senate right now. And I believe the oldest by by a few months older than Chuck Grassley. She'll be 90 uh, in a few weeks. And this has been going on for years is the truth. OK, and at some, some point you have to just say this is what it is. Um, Diane Feinstein reportedly regularly doesn't remember meeting people that she sees regularly and works with regularly. There are all of these examples of Diane Feinstein at Senate hearings where she will read a question off of a piece of paper. It's not super clear if she totally gets the question, but after the witness answers, she asks the exact same question a second time. This isn't serving anyone. This isn't serving democracy. This isn't serving the Democratic Party, who's had judicial uh, uh, nominations from Joe Biden held up because of Feinstein's absence. She's on the Judiciary Committee. So at the end of the day, I don't know what the mechanism is here, but we have to be able to look at a situation and assess it for what it is. That is so scary. So like. I just want y'all to hear from me that y'all do not have to work until y'all die. Y'all can enjoy the fruits of your labor if you have that type of re if you have those type of resources and you have prepared for those resources. I encourage you to take your risk and and to take your flowers before you go and to pass the baton down to the younger generations because y'all are feeling us. Y'all, I feel like oftentimes baby boomers do not recognize that. They are kind of out of touch with what is actually going on. And it's not a slight towards the work that you have done. But as the world is modernizing, y'all are not keeping up with it. <laughs> and it's really sad to say. Morning, bad news. The United States is a failing gerontocracy where nearly everyone holding political power is in their 70s and 80s and simply too old to effectively govern while actively creating political, economic, and social crises designed to benefit only them and their generation, which as a direct result has accumulated more wealth and fewer people than ever before in world history. More than 50% of the U.S. population is under 40, but represent less than 5% of Congress. And it's not because young people don't vote, it's because most politicians are elderly millionaires funded by elderly billionaires whose only goal is to create an opulent socialist utopia for the elderly funded entirely by an underpaid and exploited workforce of young people. In fact, if you're over 65, you are guaranteed free universal health care and a universal basic income, which are paid for through extremely high taxes on those who are under 65 and virtually zero taxes on the insane capital gains that are held almost exclusively by older generations. America's elderly power brokers have spent their lives consolidating political and economic power while exploiting every penny they can get their hands on from Gen Z, Millennial, and Gen X populations who either live in abject poverty or are two paychecks away from it, and it's destroying the country. Gerontocracies aren't new and often precede the collapse of massive empires from ancient Greece to the Soviet Union and the United States is already next on the list. I would like the time to discuss and try to better understand the concerns of black baby boomers and when it concerns to voting, okay? So I want to discuss the historical context as well as the significance of voting for black baby boomers. So really the struggle for voting rights in the United States does date back to the founding of the nation. And again, it until 1870, only white men were allowed to vote. But the 18th, um, the 15th Amendment extended the voting rights to all men of all races. 
So at this point, black men were eligible to vote. vote. So black baby boomers were born between 1946 and 1964. And their political power was really crystallized by the Vietnam War. So for those who don't know, during this time, um, the black community participated in this concept called uh, this concept and campaign entitled the Double V Campaign. So the Double V Campaign was is known as Victory Abroad and Victory at Home because you have these black soldiers who were forced to or asked or wanted to go and serve their country, and they were being treated like second class citizens in their homes, like in America. So when these soldiers went abroad, um, they were extended rights that they weren't extended back home. And then also you have to think about how these black soldiers were also placed in very bad situations based off of their race. So maybe their platoons would be put in the front lines of, you know, marching first into battle or maybe they would be giving harder work to do but they were still afforded more rights or better rights or placed in better situations than they would be if they were at home so the black community was really focusing on the devil v victory abroad hoping that these soldiers were capable of winning and coming home in one piece in a sound mind as well as victory at home the ability to white systemic racism and white supremacy at a local, statewide, and national level. So During the Second World War, more than a million African Americans served in the United States military. While so many were risking their lives for freedom abroad, black people at home were being denied equal protection of the law. The cruelty of this contradiction led to the Double V Campaign. African Americans have fought in every major war since the nation's founding. During World War I, black leaders had encouraged African Americans to put aside their concerns about civil rights and to demonstrate their patriotism. African Americans fought in that war and they had come back and been very, very disappointed. The people thought racial integration was gonna get jump-started after World War I. Instead, what you found was the red summer of 1919 where black people were dehumanized, brutalized, murdered. During World War II, African Americans were still being recruited to fight in segregated units. So they took a different tag. In January 1942, one of the most influential black newspapers in the country, the Pittsburgh Courier, published a letter. It was titled, Should I Sacrifice to Live Half American? In the letter, a young black man named James G. Thompson asked, would it be too much to demand full citizenship rights in exchange for the sacrificing of his life? His letter resonated with the public and the overwhelming response to it led the newspaper to launch its famous Double V campaign. The Double V campaign. Victory over fascism abroad and victory over racism at home. The rhetoric of democracy becomes very, very much emboldened nationally and internationally 
African Americans who are fighting overseas demand that they are compensated, and not in a monetary way, but in terms of the currency of democracy. World War II ended in 1945 with victories abroad in Europe and Japan. And here at home, a form of victory came three years later when President Harry Truman signed an executive order designed to commence the desegregation of the military. But this was only the beginning. Black veterans returned home, determined to lead the battle for civil rights. And the war against Jim Crow was set in motion. So we see these widespread protests against the involvement in the war by a lot of college-aged Americans, which um, eventually contributed to the United States' inevitable withdrawal in the Vietnam War. And this disparity between the age of draft eligibility and the age at which most citizens could be able to vote contributed to the passage of the 26th Amendment in 1971, which lowered the voting age. And that is something that we are still seeing being argued to this day about how a lot of um, conservative Republicans are arguing that they want to raise the voting age to the age of 25, in case you did not know. And so that is why today I'm announcing my support for a new amendment to the U.S. Constitution. That amendment would raise the voting age in this country from 18 to 25, but still tell you that you can vote at 18 if you either do service to this country six months in the military or six months as a first responder, or else at least pass the same civics test that we make an immigrant pass to actually become a voting citizen in this country. It's just kind of ridiculous because if people, I'm so sorry, if niggas can go to the Middle East and niggas can go to Russia and can fight and protect our country, niggas can go to the store and buy Rillo's vapes and bagwoods at the age of 21. Why would they have to, if niggas can drink, at the age of 21, if niggas can get into the club at 18, then why can't they, why should they have to wait to turn 25 to go vote? But I digress because that is an example of systemic oppression modernly towards voting rights. But let's stay in the past because I'm trying to teach a little history. It is important to note that the murder of Emmett Till in 1955 really galvanized this generation of young African Americans to really join the civil rights movement. And this included the black baby boomers in the South who were inspired to fight for equal rights and justice under the law. And this is very similar to the death of George Floyd because I feel like every generation has this moment of clarity or awakeness where they feel radicalized to stand up and do something. Now, for those who do not know or are unaware of who Emmett Till was, Emmett Till was a young boy who was born in Chicago. His mother, Mammy Till, 
brought him down from Chicago to Mississippi to stay the summer with his grandparents. And a white woman by the name of Carolyn Bryant lied on him and told her brothers and one of their friends that he tried to flirt with her or made her feel uncomfortable. And three white men tied him up and threw him in the bottom of a river and they beat him unrecognizably. And Mammy Teal decided when it was time for them to have Emmett's funeral that she wanted to have an open casket funeral and to allow the world to see the brutalization of her young son. And it is graphic because this young boy was beat unrecognizably and he was innocent. And I have to remind you that Carolyn Bryant never got her just due on earth, but she got her just due in hell. Okay, so you see this, and a lot of us were in the same way radicalized when we saw the brutal murder of George Floyd caught on camera and the the lack of human kindness and the inability to empathize with someone like that. So they really kind of geared them up. And I also want to say like young black baby boomers during this time period, I feel like in so many ways were traumatized because they witnessed in real time the death of their leaders. And you have to recognize, especially as young generations, that that in and of itself are traumatized. These older black baby boomers still talking about, they still mourning the death of Mega Evers down here in Mississippi. They they still traumatized by the, um, the killing of Martin Luther King. They sad about the death of Malcolm X. Like, they, they went through that and they lived through it. And now they're living through the lostness of our generation because since the death of Martin Luther King, our generation, the black community, has had no appointed leader. So I can see how this can be terrifying for this generation. So while baby boomers hold this tremendous influence with more than half of the voting age population over 45, their political behavior is not really easy to predict. So older baby boomers who casted their first ballots in the Nixon election. So that's during 1968, believe, until 1972. They have voted more Democratic than younger baby boomers who came of age under Ford, Carter, and Reagan. So Black baby boomers also have concerns and fears that younger generations may not carry on the tradition of voting or taking pride in voting. And I want to address their concerns and fears. So they are essentially worried that younger generations might not be able to understand the the importance of voting, as well as the sacrifices that were made by their generations in order to secure voting rights. So I want to go through some of the examples of these sacrifices that were made by the previous generations in order to secure voting rights for Black Americans. So the first example I wanted to talk about, which is, of course, the civil rights movement. 
So the movement was between 1950 and 1960 was very pivotal for the fight of voting rights. So many of these activists, which included these black baby boomers, they organized, they protested, they marched, they did sit-ins, they did um, boycotts. You know, they was really busy. Um, and they really did all this stuff in order to demand an end to racial segregation as well as to discrimination. And they openly faced violence, arrest, and even death in their pursuit to equal rights. And I was talking to another one of my mentors that I met um, working with the Southern Property Law Firm. And she, um, her name is Miss Leslie. She is a, a lawyer. She's phenomenal. And we were talking about epigenetics. And um, for those who do not know, epigenetics really is how you will have fears that are genetically passed down from generation to generation. So picture it, Sicily. Your grandmama was pregnant with your mama. So your mama was sitting in your grandma's womb. And you were sitting in your mom's womb because our women are born with all of the eggs that they need to be able to fertilize throughout their lifetime. So your grandmama was carrying your mama and your mama was carrying you. If you're a mama and you ain't got your baby and your, and your mama got your baby, then you're not the mama. Your grandmama's the baby. Listen, so all y'all sitting in that junk, your grandmama marched during the civil rights era. And then while she was marching, they sick them dogs on your grandma. She didn't know she was pregnant. She knew she was scared. So now your grandma has a fear of police brutality and, um, she has a fear of dogs because she was hunted and chased down. And you can see this too during slave patrols when oftentimes enslaved women and men would try to run away from um, their masters and slave catchers with sick dogs on those enslaved people. So you see this continualization and the fear passed down from generation to generation. So there's something that is still impacting us today and these baby boomers in and of themselves are they worked even as young children in order to secure these voting rights like oftentimes it is that you don't see too many children involved in um political work demonstrations and stuff like this and i always talk about the children's crusade down in alabama because you had thousands of black children kindergarten age to 12th grade now during this time period um a lot of these black parents that but there were the parents two baby boomers they could not keep on going to jail because they were afraid that they were going to lose their jobs so instead of the parents going to jail they sent their children i.e baby boomers the elder baby boomers to go down there and to essentially pack out the jails down in Birmingham, Alabama. So you got these elder baby boomers hopping on. They going and protesting. They getting arrested. They singing. They handcuffed. 
again, water turned on them. They're marching and you are seeing, you're seeing them work at this extremely young age because that was something that was instilled into them at such a young age. And it's something that is almost looked down upon in today. So maybe, and I can understand why they feel like we don't understand the sacrifices that they made because they put their bodies on the line. You're going to see this through Freedom Summer, and that's in 1964. Thousands of volunteers, including black baby boomers, traveled to Mississippi to register black voters and establish the Freedom Schools. And again, they faced intimidation, violence, even murder from white supremacists who opposed their efforts. Again, they went through these poll taxes and literally literacy tests. We don't go through that no more. We don't go through that no more. We're just going to be honest about it. Because if y'all went to them voting rights places and y'all went to go cast their ballot and they asked you to read a paragraph, half of y'all would be stuttering and the other half of y'all would be mad and um, upset. Y'all don't, y'all don't, y'all don't, in so many ways, we have become complacent because we're not doing the work that they once did. But in so many ways, they did it to make lives easier for us. So it's like, you know, you can't throw it back in our faces once you get work. Just be grateful that we don't have to deal with this anymore. So, again, I want to place an emphasis on the fact that it is so crucial for younger generations to understand as well as to appreciate the sacrifices that were made by those who came before them in order to secure their right to vote. Now, again, as the liaison between the conversations between the old heads and young hoes, I must say that I have been blessed to be placed in these spaces where there are a bulk of energetic young people who serve as the leaders and the representatives of our generation, the, the Gen Z generation, as well as working with and learning up under baby boomers black baby boomers, the elder baby boomers who helped pave the way and set this crazy amount of groundwork in order for us to have and to be afforded the luxuries and the freedoms that we are given right now. Now, I ain't gonna hold you. As much as I love to be in those spaces, baby boomers have the most negative perception of our generation possible. And again, it is because they are not within the spaces that concern us, okay? So they hear what's on the news, they see what's in the newspaper. And to be quite honest with you, science tells us that our brains are wired to remember the more negative things within situations and to ignore positive things in different situations because it is flagging out danger or things that make it feel uncomfortable. So our brains are wired like this. And you know, and some some cases, you know, I can understand that. But in cases like this, I really need you all to be for real. Okay? So the baby boomers specifically are concerned that younger generations may not be as politically engaged as they were during their youth. And they feel like we, Generation Z, may not be as likely to vote in every election. So let me give y'all the statistics. So 
So according to a report by the Pew Research Center, voter turnout among younger generations has historically been lower than that of older generations. This trend is particularly pronounced in midterm elections where voter, voter turnout is generally lower across all age groups. There are several reasons why younger generations may be less politically engaged. One reason is that they may feel disillusioned with their political process and believe that their votes do not matter. Another reason is that they may not feel represented, represented by their culture or their current political system, which can lead to apathy and disengagement. Additionally, younger generations may not be more focused on other issues such as climate change and social justice, which may not be as directly tied to electoral politics. However, it is important to know that there are so many young people who are politically engaged and active. Me, I am an example. Again, a liaison, a representative. Uh, I carry the state of Mississippi on my back. They, they talking about me and the people I be with. Because I know some young people who are going to get on your neck about their community. Okay? So, for example, the 2020 U.S. presidential election saw record turnout among young voters, which estimated 52 to 55% of eligible voters aged 18 through 29 casting a ballot. This suggests that there is still a significant portion of younger generations who are invested in political processes and are willing to participate in elections. To encourage greater political engagement among younger generations, it is important to address the factors that may be contributing to their disengagement. This can include efforts to make political processes more accessible and transparent, as well as initiatives to address issues that are important to younger generations. And it is also important to recognize and celebrate the young people who are already politically engaged and to provide them with opportunities to become more involved in the political process. And that can't be further from the truth. That is the truth. So I want to encourage older baby boomers, when you get into these spaces and you have an opportunity to talk to the youth and you have an opportunity to encourage us because you feel like, not based off statistics, because I just read the statistics to you, but because you feel like and you heard that younger generations are not participating, that you feel like you need to down us, tell us that we need to get more active. You need to tell us that we are focused on the wrong things. Instead of putting us down and telling us how we need to improve, how about you encourage us? How about you speak life into us? How about you take us up under your wing and mentor us and usher us into the light in a positive way, not in a way that is derogatory or puts us down or make us feel less than because we're not doing what you think we should be doing or what you were doing at our age because we're doing a lot of work. You just don't see it. And we'll get into that when we start talking about social media activism. Overall, while there is certainly a cause for concern about this political engagement for a younger generation, there are also 
reasons to be hopeful and by addressing the underlying factors that may be contributing to disengagement, we can work towards a more politically engaged and in, in active society. Now, with that in mind, while I'm just I'm telling these <laughs> telling the baby boomers out, I want to thank and commemorate the people who are of this generation who do pour into me because like i said they are and above the people who are my age because people my age won't even say nothing to you they'll just sit up there and look the people who are younger than me who do indeed look up to me and actually tell me that they appreciate the work that i do or the people who don't know me and see the value in me i appreciate so much more when older baby boomer black women come up to me and tell me how much they appreciate the work that i'm doing or how they feel like there is a need for me in their spaces how they know that if i'm given the opportunity that i can help bring awareness to so many cases and causes i appreciate that because i know that you see my value i just want us to work on re building and bridging that gap between our generations because we will not get anywhere until we are united as a whole and there's so much that needs to be learned from you all there's so much adaptation and elevation that needs to come from both sides i would love for to see older baby movers to be able to learn how to manipulate technology to be able to incorporate and be open-minded to learning how to use and um use technology but i also feel like we as baby the gen z generation we are forgetting about the social element of life baby boomers didn't get where they are because they was on social media baby boomers got where they were because they created community they sat down and they talked to one another face to face not on social media not on facetime not via text message messenger okay they created community they knew what everybody in their communities did and they knew how to asset and and utilize everyone's positions in order to get and to utilize them for the greater good of the community so there's so much that needs to be learned within these spaces but respectability politics and ageism and an assumption because you got to remember assuming makes an ass out of you and me baby that is what's stopping us from getting to this level of living and ascending to the higher level of living i'm just going to make a, a pivotal note of a few more of the concerns that baby boomers have i want to plainly state them and move it because i want to get to the point where i can advocate and defend on behalf of my generation generation z and um what we have been doing over the last i want to say like five years okay so baby boomers also fear that younger generations may not be committed to social justice and civil rights issues as they were as these um baby boomers once were during their youth and they may not prioritize these issues when voting they also fear that younger generations may not be as informed about political issues and candidates as they should be and may not take the time to research and educate themselves before casting their votes. 
And that's actually really funny because um I went to go vote <laughs> in this first election with my auntie. And truth be told, didn't neither one of us know who we was finna vote for. Baby, we pulled up. <laughs> me and Miss Daisy pulled up to the voting place and we parked and I looked at her and she looked at me and I said, um, Miss Daisy, who we voting for? And she said, I don't know. I thought you knew. And I looked at her and I said, girl, I thought you would have known. And so I said, so we vote for the Democrats and everybody who got a black name? She said, yes. Yeah. So that's what we went ahead and did. Who are you rooting for tonight? I'm rooting for um, everybody black. <laughs> I am. And I'm pretty sure our votes were similar. But that's just the truth of the matter. Y'all can't be worried about y'all us before y'all get the word about yourselves because we both just as ignorant, truth be told. Uh-huh. Don't be throwing rocks at a glass house. Come on now, let's be for real. But nevertheless, I want to take this time to go ahead and highlight the importance of voting for um, black, the black community and the potential consequences of a low voter turnout. But before I start divulging in this topic as a whole, I really want to talk about Generation Z's voting rates and political engagement because this is new information. And baby boomers, I want you guys to understand that it takes time for statistics to come out. It takes time to collect data. So what we're doing now, we might not see the results and repercussions until maybe five, 10 years down the road. You just have to be patient and to continue to politely push us into the direction and to inform us with kindness, okay? So present data and statistics on Generation Z's, it's Black Generation Z and Generation Z as a whole, their voting rights and political involvement, okay? So Younger generations have shown a strong interest in social justice and have actively engaged in advocating for fair and equal treatment of others. So Generation Z, as it pertains to social justice, um, our generation tends to be more open-minded. They tend to be more liberal-leaning and engaged in social justice issues. And this is because we have grown up with technology that allows us to connect with these different types of cultures and stay informed about social issues. And um, I think that that's a, a gap that older people don't understand. Yes, we might be on the phone 24-7, but while we scrolling on TikTok, on Facebook, on Instagram, we are seeing a lot of political posts because they are not just advertising to you. They are making content for us that is easily digestible and put in layman terms or put into inf into language that is easily understandable for us to pick on pick up on these very hard concepts. Um, for those who are a part of Gen Z and you want to start learning more about um, politics and you are a black person and you want to listen to black politics or just more liberal ideas, I would like to encourage you to follow gen z for change on social media as well as joy reed she is a, a news broadcaster for nsnbc she's a black woman and she does a phenomenal job breaking down um current events um political candidates talking about black issues social issues social justice issues and she's a millennial and i enjoy listening to her takes when she is behind camera um um, working 
at the news station as well as when she's at home discussing what has gone on during the day. Um, I also enjoy I also enjoy Under the Desk News. Um, v is a um a, a white queer woman, and um she's gay, but she gives phenomenal news, and she is very current and very liberal leaning. So there are a lot of ways to be able to access the same type of information that don't include us watching the four o'clock news, five o'clock, nine o'clock news picking up a newspaper and plus a lot of us be reading the newspaper online baby because we be trying to keep up with our classmates that be going to jail okay so we be reading the newspaper ma'am please don't don't get it twisted y'all we read now now also with um younger generations when it comes to political engagement our generation has shown high levels of political engagement including voting and taking issues taking up on issues like climate change and we have actively participated in rallies contracted elected officials and volunteered to address these issues now this right here is what i really want people to pick up on our generation as much as we need to be solely focused on white supremacy and racism oppression and inequality in the wage gap we number one have to conquer climate change because we are the baby boomers have lived on this earth millennials have lived on this earth and our planet has been dying and we do not have a future that is promised to us y'all i went on my first airplane ride this weekend for the march on washington and I looked out the window as we was flying over Texas, and I literally saw a wildfire. I literally saw the earth burnt to crisp and, and smoke coming up, and nobody was addressing the issue. Our earth is burning. The ice is melting. The air is polluted. People cannot breathe. So our, uh, our first priority is to have a sustainable environment where we can be able to give back to the generations that come after us so that is our issue right now we not concerned about the transgenders and the sports and all that shit. that is that is a non-motherfucking factor when in 20 20 30 years we would be living on a planet that is inhabitable we won't have no place to live On the next point, I want to say that we have done the work. Now, similarly to the death of Emmett Till that radicalized your generation, our generation was enlightened and radicalized by the death of George Floyd and the many deaths that occurred post-2020. If anybody was locked down in that pandemic and they weren't at the very least participating on social media as the black people, they they weren't for us and they weren't by us, okay? Black people got out and protested during the pandemic. I don't know if niggas was wearing a mask or not, but they was out there in that heat. They made beautiful poster boards. They sang the sang, they sang the songs of slavery and they protested, they put their boots to the ground. And so many more black 
people have been radicalized and revolutionized and have been awakened because that was our period. Now we are constantly working, not just to protest, not just to march, but we are trying to strategize amongst communities and amongst diasporas in order to find ways to create solutions, not just like out loud where people can see us, but behind closed doors strategizing trying to make the world a greater place to live in again so the generations that come after us can have it easier because we are a very open mind and open-hearted generation okay it's my generation that's calling up representatives message last two minutes this is for rachel you big fat white nasty smelling fat bitch why you took me off the motherfucking schedule with your trifling, dirty, white, racist ass, you big, fat bitch, oompa lumpa body ass bitch. I'm coming up there and I'm going to beat the fuck out of you, bitch. And don't even call the police today because I'm going to come up there unexpected and wait on your motherfucking ass, bitch. I'm coming to beat the fuck out of you, bitch. This blowing they phones up, emailing them, blowing their email box up, signing up, donating a little dollars to feed the children for 55 cents a day. I have children in Uganda that I take care of. They eat because of me. I'm building homes in Uganda. So if you go on my page, you will be able to see um, at least maybe 600 videos of my babies. Yeah. I have 36 children. And orphans. you know all their names? No. They're like, Washakanaga and all that. No, I got, they have little nicknames, little fly, you know, froggy, little things like that. That's us. That's us. And finding different ways to protest too. This, this our generation. We're just not going about it the same way that you are, but this, that, that does not mean that the work is not being done. Now, let's talk about attitudes towards race. Now, younger generations are more likely to recognize and acknowledge racial disparities and inequality. And younger generations are more likely to believe that Black Americans are treated differently than others and support actions to reduce the efforts of racial discrimination. We also hold progressive views. Younger generations tend to be more progressive on social issues. They are more likely to support policies that prioritize climate action and reduce climate impact. Now, for those who don't know, Generation Z are the children that were born between 1997 and 2012. And again, this generation has shown significant political engagement and activism on various issues. So let's go ahead and let's talk about the issues that move our generation. So the first issue that is on Gen Z's political engagement radar is gun control. You know why? Because a lot of us was in school or new people who were in classrooms when people were trying to shoot up schools or no people our age 26 and younger who have died because of gun issues this is black on black crime this is also white on black crime gun control because we have seen one too many people die and people people keep on asking do guns kill people do people kill people the answer both it's both, and y'all need to stop being silly 
with these rhetorical questions, just just pass legislation and prepare, protect the lives of people because people are still people at the end of the day. Now, when we were um, at the march on Washington this weekend, I saw this black man. He had made a, a, a cross like the one Jesus carried on Calvary. He had made his own cross and gave out Sharpies and allowed people to sign it. And you were allowed to sign his cross if anybody you knew died at the behest of gun violence. Thousands of signatures on this. Thousands. Thousands of signatures on the cross. My signature on the cross. And it's sad. So gun control is such a problem that we've also generated our own movement for gun control. And it's called the March of Our Lives movement. And it was led by the survivors of the Parkland shooter, school shooter. And it gained this widespread attention and mobilized young people across the country because gun control is an issue. And it is a specifically American issue. People around the world, in Europe, Zimbabwe, Tanzania, Thailand, Australia, motherfucking Buckingham, Pavilion, they don't have gun issues the way we got gun issues. Most European, most European countries have issues with stabbing, with knives, because they bold. They just run up on you and pierce your flesh. Y'all niggas don't even want to walk down on folks when y'all shoot people. Y'all just want to shoot people from a distance and get away with it. And now y'all consider hard in y'all hood. So, yes, gun control is a very big issue with Gen Z. Again, we've already discussed climate change. That is the second biggest issue um, against Generation Z. And the movement we have created for that is the School Strike for Climate movement. And it was inspired by Greta Thunberg, who saw young people and the world organizing strikes and protests to demand action on climate change. Now, the third biggest issue for Gen Z is going to be radical justice. Generation Z has been vocal in advocating for racial equality and justice. They have participated in protests against police brutality and systemic racism, such as Black Lives Matter. And then this weekend, we participated in the 60th anniversary on the March on Washington. And I'm pretty sure that there will be more marches to come because we still not have seen justice for, for, for police brutality and systemic racism and oppression. And we know that it is an issue. I'm telling you, anytime we had to go out there and protest, it'd be 95 degrees outside. You can't tell me I don't love my people. I'd be fighting, falling out, sweating bullets. Okay? We we see that it is a problem, older people, and we are taking up arms. We're putting boots on the ground, and we're going active and being advocate about it, and we're doing it in different, more creative ways. Now, the fourth most significant political issue for Gen Z is going to be reproductive health. Why? Because to be frank with you, black baby boomers, your white counterparts have taken away our rights to reproductive health. Generation Z has shown support for reproductive rights and access to abortion. We have been involved in campaigns and advocacy efforts in order to protect and expand reproductive, reproductive health care options. And might I add that the issue of reproductive health is so bad in the South. Again, I'm in Mississippi. It is terrible in Mississippi. The state of Mississippi has the highest maternal death rate out of any 
of the state and you know who has the highest maternal death rate black women so black mothers are literally putting their bodies on the line in order to give birth and they are dying in places that's supposed to save and protect them and help them they are dying doing something that women have been doing since the birth of time women have been giving birth since the birth of time and 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 hospitals and doctors and still have not mastered this technique so not only is maternal death at an all-time high we have the overturning of roe versus wade where which started again in the state of mississippi where the only abortion clinic located in jackson mississippi was closed permanently so we are also in the South seeing the exodus of so many health, OBGYN, nurse practitioners, ER nurses, doctors fleeing, going north, going west, because they don't want to work down here in the South because Southern states have set up here and created these toxic voting rights, these toxic these toxic policies and laws when it, in regards to abortion, safe abortion, they're getting ready to start passing laws on birth control, on, on all types of stuff in concerns to reproductive health. And the doctor's gone, the hospitals are closing. I'm praying for those who are in the Delta. They, they don't, they're struggling with finding just access to hospitals they find time to make sure that they don't die on the way to hospitals so reproductive health specifically for women specifically for women who are a part of BIPOC community specifically for the black women who are dying the most giving birth is a huge issue and me personally i will not take that line down i'm going to continue to speak up on it because it's not right and that is why our generation knows that this is a problem the fifth issue that gen z participates in is the issue of education gen z has been engaged in advocating for the improvements in the education system they have organized protest initiatives to address issues such as school funding school debt and access to quality education and this is something that we're gonna have to continue to push because if anyone sat down and watched the republican debates that happened last week they would know they would be well aware that they are getting ready and they are pushing to defund the educational system when we live in the south the majority of the southern states the students cannot read the adults are illiterate. You understand me? Like, I'm not exaggerating. They are functionally illiterate. They do not understand the concept of, of words, emotional intelligence. They, they're banning books. You cannot do X, Y, and Z. So the issue of education is something that is important. And then we just had affirmative action struck down by the Supreme Court so and then we have so the supreme court is telling us that they're no longer going to use affirmative action as a way to be able to 
um, make sure that there are no, there's enough room to allow BIPOC students um, into classrooms fairly and justly. And it's okay because those who affected who are affected by affirmative action usually are white women. Those are the women who usually get in because of affirmative action because those black people that get into those spaces actually have done the work and actually have the credentials and actually have the experience, but I digress. It was done as a way to systemically push out black students out of these different spaces of higher education. And it was done by the... What is it? The model minority by Asians, by the Asian community, because they feel like we use that as an excuse to move up when they feel like they've done more work than us. But there is a conversation for another day because I'm not going to get started. So then we also have the issue with student debt, which, again, our Supreme Court then cast it down and told us that we would that, that student debt elimination for all is unconstitutional. So Joe Biden is trying his best to deliver on his promises. But again, we will be in debt for the rest of our lives. And 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 no one seems to care. No one seems to care that we can't afford to live. No one can seems to care that people cannot afford to eat. And when I say it, it's a problem. But it's nothing but the truth. That's why our generation puts such a heavy emphasis on education. Lastly, I want to talk about social media advocacy and social media activism because that is the highest form of activism that my generation participates in. Our generation has has an understanding that yes, it's important to do it, to advocate in person, to show up in masses, but to easily access people, not just of our race, but of different races, genders, and backgrounds, and to easily inform them in a non-hostile environment, in a position where you do not put your life in stake, is to do it via social media. So Generation Z utilizes social media platforms in order to raise awareness, mobilize support, and share information about political issues. We have effectively used platforms like TikTok, Twitter, YouTube as a way to amplify our voices and as a way to connect to with like-minded individuals, as well as to re-educate and to deprogram those who are not like-minded as us. It is important to note that Gen Z's political engagement is not limited to these examples. Because like I said, it's people like me out here that are putting their boots on the ground. It's people like me out here that are standing up in person, telling people that what they're doing is wrong. And we need, we deserve equality and freedom. Because our activism within our generation has a wider span. It, it, It reaches a lot more issues because there are a lot more issues going on. And we have shown that we have a strong desire to have an impact on our society, and we are actively shaping the political landscape. I'm not against voting, but I will only vote when you give me a reason. Okay. Let's take voting in America. Black people in America never get anything when they vote. So how do they motivate us to vote if we never get nothing when we do? Fear. 
Black people are the only constituency in this country who vote out of fear. In other words, I'm not voting to stop police brutality because they're not going to stop it. I'm not voting to change mass incarceration and not going to change it. I'm not voting to fix the schools. They're never going to fix them. So what you voting for? Because I'm afraid of what Trump might do. You see that? That's how we vote. Fear. Mm-hmm. Now, when the Jews go to the polls, when the Latinos go to the polls, when the Arabs, the East Indians, the Anglo-Saxons go to the polls, they're going for concessions. I'm getting something out of this vote. I'm getting something that we already agreed upon before election day. Black people are getting nothing. We vote out of fear. Our motivation is fear. Joe Biden may do nothing for you, but Donald Trump will be worse. The final part of this episode is really to focus on bridging the gap, the generational gap, as well as encouraging participation on both sides. Now, I just feel like it's super silly and it's ignorant to point out all of these issues and not provide a solution because we are a solution-based people. Amen. Amen. So I really, again, want to take the time to say that the concerns of black baby boomers are valid. You guys are not wrong. You guys have done the work. Y'all put your boots on the ground. You have paid the way so that we may have a better life than the life that you once had. But now it's time to pass the battalion on to the next generation. Now, I will say that I feel like it is hard for us to it's hard for you all to pass the battalion pass the baton on to the next generation because you guys um actively participate in ageism but that's okay i feel like because we are so much younger than you you feel like we are too young and because we are too young you feel like we are too naive or too inexperienced to be able to hold this type of responsibility But again, I must remind you that Fred Hampton was 21 before he was killed for his activism and his work that he did within the black community. He was bridging the gap to help create unity amongst several diverse communities, diverse minority communities, as well as helping to educate and enrich the black community. So again, what do you mean? Because the speakers at the original march on washington where martin luther king gave his famous i had a dream speech those men were in their early 20s so you're telling me that these men can get up here and do the work as they're 21 22 23 but yet i'm still too young to hold political office I think that's ignorant. I think that is a very ignorant assumption. I'm conscious. People who are my age know what's going on in the community. We may not have been alone and around as long as you. And But one thing my answer show told me that ain't nothing new up under this sun. Everything I've seen has been done. So while your concerns are valid, about our community, it is important to acknowledge that there are some points that must be considered. Now, 
first i want to point out the generational differences there are generational differences in attitudes towards ideas on social justice and civil rights issues y'all grew up during a time of significant social and political change would really this really shaped you guys's perspectives now younger generations like gen z and millennials have grown up in a different and social political context which also influences our attitudes towards different issues you also have to understand that there is a perception of individualism again baby boomers may perceive younger generations as being more focused on individualism and personal success rather than collective activism this perception may be influenced by the use of social media and technology which can create a sense of disconnect from the broader community i see you i understand what you're saying but y'all doing the same thing it might not be you specifically but baby boomers in these political offices very often are being bribed are being paid off and they are not thinking about the goodness and the wellness and the improvingness of our country our states or our communities they thinking about obtaining more stocks and bonds and getting more money so that they can continue to push their legacy and their agenda so individualism is not a a a specific problem of our generation it is a problem for our country because we live in an individualistic society everyone in america has a problem with individualism because our country does not focus on community and that is something that we all have to get back to not just our generation again the baby boomers concerns about the commitment of younger generations to social justice and civil rights issues are valid however it's important to recognize that younger generations have shown a strong interest in issues and have been actively engaged and advocating for change and they have participated in rallies they have they man we just elected our first representative of gen z down there in florida and you know what's crazy that boy he he won he won his position running for a representative. He paid for his whole campaign on his credit card and it hit his freaking um credit score so low he couldn't even find an apartment. That shows you right there what type of predicament we are in. And it's sad to see it. It really is. But at the same time, we also have young men and young women who have already died for talking about systemic issues um i know y'all remember that black girl during 2020 she she was african she was out there protesting and the next day she came up missing then the next day they found out she was dead she she is just history repeating itself so you can't tell me that people is too young to run for political offices when obviously we not too young to die so I want to highlight the importance of mentorships. I think that it is so important to use mentorships as a way to bridge the gap and to create like harmony amongst our generations because this is an intergenerational problem. Now, mentorship can play this huge, crucial role 
and passing down this knowledge and values in order to ensure um ensure that we have an understanding and we value the right to voting and voting traditions okay so baby boomers can provide this guidance and support to younger generations which can help them really to understand the importance of social justice and civil rights issues that help them inspire them to take up action and in the inverse young people we need to be actively acknowledging the concerns and validating the concerns that baby boomers have because they're not wrong we also need to understand why they feel the way that they feel because empathy is the only thing that is going to push us away from these mindsets really the goal is to work towards creating this more equitable and just society for all of us and i feel like the more that we have these conversations um the more we open up and we have these constructive dialogues between these different generations and addressing the concerns addressing what is working and what what our weaknesses are as well as working together towards a more shared understanding of the importance of social justice and civil rights issues we will really get to a place where we are unstoppable so i just want to again place this emphasis on how important it is for us to have these dialogues for us to have these conversations for us to put our pride to the sides as well as to modernize the way that we think the way we also need to dream bigger on the way that we look at stuff and also because no nah, i ain't gonna talk about it we just need to start having more conversations okay so Hey fam, so I feel like we need to have like a quick conversation within the family, um, and I mean the black family, uh, about one of the challenges that we're facing in terms of achieving the, the level of power in this country that we deserve based on what we've put into this system uh, and put into this country historically. Um, and the challenge is why we are seeing such low propensity to turn out and vote in states where black people have critical mass and critical numbers. And I'm thinking about places like Florida. Um, in the state of Florida, you had a phenomenal black woman candidate, Val Demings, on the ballot. And the turnout among black folks was low. <laughs> I mean, even before the election started, there was already reporting that black folks were not turning out. I was talking with folks on the ground who were working to try to turn out the black vote. And it was, it was, it was light. Okay. It was light statewide, despite the quality of her candidacy. Gary Chambers was making the same point. He was posting to his Instagram. Gary Chambers was running against Senator Ted Kennedy, the foghorn leghorn of modern politics. And he was seeing in Louisiana, in the state of Louisiana, anemic turnout among black folks. And remember, this is one of the first, this is the first state to ever elect a black governor during reconstruction the state of louisiana so we're so pbs pinchback 
So we're having this challenge in states where black folks have critical mass, have really solid numbers. I mean, Kentucky, Charles Booker was running in Kentucky, but that's a 7% black state. That's a much harder climb. Arkansas, where Chris Jones was running for governor, not sure what the turnout was there, but one wonders whether people had the sense of hope to go out and try to get an outstanding candidate like Chris Jones in. The reality is most black people still live in the South. And so if we're going to change this country and change the red states where our rights are most at risk, we have to see the level of voting in the South that can change things. And take Stacey Abrams out of this conversation. Stacey Abrams got an extremely high level of votes from black women and black men. That meme was a lie. It was white voters in Georgia who just refused to support her. And it's white voters throughout these Southern states who are refusing to support Democratic black candidates. They'll support someone like Tim Scott because he's gonna go with their agenda. And so I think for black folks, we still need to try to maximize our turnout in the states where we have numbers, where we could put together victories. We need to talk about why that's not happening when Obama's not on the ballot. It's an important conversation we need to have because that's the way we get power. Your vote is your power. We need to solve that before 2024 when it gets real. Now, before I let you love the people go and and you do the things that blessed black people do in your blessed black people's spare time. Black baby boomers, I want to encourage you all to encourage us and vice versa. And I want you guys to prioritize voting, social justice, and civil rights issues by following and taking the following steps. So number one, share your experiences. Black baby boomers can share their experiences for fighting for social justice and civil rights during their youth. And they can help younger generations understand the importance of these issues and inspire them to take action. Man, y'all, when I tell you, I love sitting down talking to older black people, specifically baby boomers, about what they did during the civil rights movement. Boy, blow your socks off. Boy, them niggas was active. <laughs> they were so active in their youth. And that's particularly why I act the way that I act. Because scare money don't make no money. Okay? Let me tell you that. So, particularly, I worked up under um, a specific Black Panther. And she would, when we were driving to different locations, she would just sit down and tell me stories. And if you ain't never met a Black Panther, I encourage you to find one because they're not as scary as they seem, but they have some of the most outrageous stories. But, you know, that aligns with their belief system and their values because no justice, no peace. And it's number one, it's powerful to hear how these older people reacted when faced with fear. A lot of the baby boomers stood toe-to-toe with clans members, stood toe-to-toe with these notoriously bigoted governors, mayors, police officers who were um, down low clansmen, who were white supremacists that upheld the notion, the belief, and ideology of white supremacy. And to hear them talk about being faced with shootouts, man, I know a man right now, Bound in Jackson, who 
him and his brother survived two shootouts with the police, then were unjustly arrested. And while one of the twin brothers was in jail, he sat up there and learned the law for himself, represented himself in a court of law, sued the state of Mississippi and won, then turned around, represented his brother, sued the state of Mississippi and won. Thousandaires, millionaires, money in the bank. Going around, talking and advocating for black people. We ain't made it there yet because we just now hit this earth. I may have born, I may have been born at night, but I wasn't born last night, amen. So I've I've taught I've been so blessed to be able to sit down and have these conversations with people who have been in shootouts with the law that I did not die, did not go to jail, still out here advocating 20, 30 years later. We know a man, another man out in Jackson who was the youngest freedom fighter in America who was thrown in jail at the age of 11 in the pen, in, pen, in, in Mississippi, put in with some of the most dangerous serial killers, child molesters, rapers, was sexually assaulted in jail himself, did not die, and is still advocating for the rights of black people to this day. Like, share your experiences. If and if you if you wanna if you wanna encourage people to go out there and do the work that you once did, don't be tight lipped about it because I feel like some of y'all can be so ashamed of the stuff that y'all did. Cause a lot of these people are still around and it is crazy to sit down and listen to it and hear their stories. And I wish more older people would come onto my platform and share their stories because they need to be heard. Now, the next step you can take is engaging in dialogue. Black baby boomers can encourage in constructive dialogue with younger generations to understand their perspectives and concerns. And again, this can help bridge that gap between the generations and help create this shared understanding of the importance of social justice and civil rights. Um, I think this is important because the longer that um, someone like a baby boomer has been on the streets, um, on the ground doing this work, they've picked up on so many tips. They know how to go about handling legal proceedings, how to go about um, like affecting people's money to the point where they'll stop. They know who to reach out to because, again, they were the ones who created this community. So if you were to partake in sharing some of this wisdom, because you do not have to talk to the people my generation that don't want to listen, because there's plenty of us who do want to listen. There's plenty of us that want to know what to do just in case we get into those positions and predicaments that you were once put in. So engage in a dialogue and don't go about this dialogue simply critiquing. Go about this dialogue merely educating. Don't talk about what we should be doing. Focus on what you did. The next one is supporting youth-led youth movements. Black baby boomers can support youth-led youth movements that focus on social justice and civil rights issues. Now, this can really help amplify the voices of younger generations and provide them with the resources and support that they really need in order to help affect change. Like, that's real. Now, when we was on the March on Washington, down there in Washington, D.C., them old heads, they was out there. Man, boy, I seen me. I seen me an elder baby boomer 
in a wheelchair, smoking her square, smoking her mar menthol, mar below light, baby. I don't know. I'm smoking cigarettes, baby. She was out there in 91 degree heat. I said, come on for our rights and justice. Pick the cancer stick up, put the cancer stick down for our rights. And and I love that. I love to see. It was just powerful because, like I said, it was extremely hot this weekend. And the the elders, they were out there because, you know, I'm 26, baby, but that heat bell took me out. But they, they were out there. They are more fragile than us. They are not in the same health that we have. And they stood up there with us and they took a stand with us. And this is something they have been doing for decades. So we would love to see you out there more. We would love to see y'all out here uh, advocating for the planet, advocating for gun violence, telling these politicians that they wrong and they need to prioritize our generation because we will be what's left when you all are gone. The, the next one is going to be encouraging political engagement. Black baby boomers can encourage young generations to to be politically engaged and to prioritize social justice and social rights issues when voting. Now, this can help ensure that these issues remain a priority for elected officials and policymakers. Please, please, please um, continue to educate us on what's going on in politics. Find ways to make it interesting introduce politicians to younger generations, underrepresented generations. Make sure you continue to have this. And if you feel like you see a red flag in a politician that we are supporting, bring it to our attention and, and let us know what it is that, that you feel like is off or wrong. But again, do it with gentleness and kindness. I cannot stress this enough. We not that generation when mama said, do as I say and not as I do. And we just going to listen and not ask questions. You have to be prepared for us to ask you some questions. And honestly, baby boomers, just because we asking questions to you do not mean we being disrespectful. It just means that we are looking for more knowledge and a greater sense of understanding. So y'all have to move away from this mindset and really start putting yourself out there more. Now, the last step that I will support for us to encourage bridging the gap between the generations is leading by example. Black baby boomers can lead by example and continue to be active in social justice and civil rights issues. This can inspire younger generations to follow in their footsteps and continue to fight for more equitable society. And I feel like that might be the biggest one because a lot of y'all niggas is can be hypocrites and I feel like in so many ways it's a lot of the baby boomer black men because you all come from this generation where men were the political leaders during the 1950s and 60s and now we've gone away from that and because our generation does not have a generational leaders we are starting to see a lot more women speaking up and advocating and doing the work and you feel like just because you are a man and you are an elder man that you should be put in positions of power. People don't rock like that no more. People respect people who actually out here doing the work, that are actually doing right by people, who, who are actually doing stuff, not because it makes them look good, but because it is the right thing to do. Lead by example. Because we see so many different examples of older 
Gen baby boomers getting into these positions of power and power breeds corruption. So we see these folks, they get in these positions of power. We see them siphoning money from, from funds. Um, I believe there was the millennials, but the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement, the women, they was taking movement, they was taking money from the donation pot and buying luxury houses and cars and stuff. Like honestly, when we think about the honorable Reverend Jesse Jackson, we don't support men like that because we know what the men did. They don't lead by example. We know that those men are shady. So they're not gonna get no respect from us. We want to respect the people we know who actually did the work and did it just because another person was a humane person. Another person was simply a person, not because they were a good person or a bad person, but because they were they should be treated with kindness simply because they are a person, because of humanity. Does that make sense? I feel like y'all trying to get to this point where y'all don't want to deal with our generation because we're so far from what you expected us to be or what you would want us to be. And when you get to pushing people away and telling people they can't participate in stuff because they don't have the look and they don't have the, the, the vocabulary and the attire and stuff. And then we looking at your peers and your counterparts and they don't either. And they doing real crazy stuff behind other folks back. We don't want to follow up behind y'all either because y'all don't have y'all shit together either. Excuse my French. So please lead by example. Be the person that you want your granddaughters and your daughters, your grandsons and sons to follow up behind. You like you can't expect us to listen to you if you won't even listen to yourself. Since really Katrina, black folks in the South have been hit by nothing but goddamn constant ecological environmental disasters, piss poor responses from the state and from the government for their plight. And then once many of them did move from say Louisiana to Texas, were then hit with infrastructure issues because the goddamn governor doesn't want to actually put in a decent power structure infrastructure for that state. And we're going to keep seeing more cold winters coming. And so we're also going to keep seeing people re-traumatized when their goddamn power goes out and their, their homes are freezing. And I'm saying it this way because part of getting people to the polls or getting them to understand that their power, their vote actually matters and they have power is to understand the absolute psychological devastation many have felt for generations. How do you put trust into a system when every time you look around and another hurricane comes or another disaster is happening or something else comes down and you are left once again with shit? You are left once again to have to defend yourself, to have to figure out how to make it and survive. Now, this is not, an, I'm not giving another excuse. I'm saying this is part of the conversation. Mental health, PTSD, CPTSD, particularly for folks in the South, if you're poor, if you're black, if you're, if you're in a location that's been disenfranchised, how do you trust a system that every time you turn around tells you it can't do shit for you? especially since 2020 in this pandemic, y'all. Because when the pandemic hit and we're still in this pandemic, them ecological disasters kept on coming. You got folks still in FEMA trailers from three, four hurricanes ago who can't even get housing. 
alongside people losing folks left and right, so grief is there as well. So I'm saying it to say part of the education has to be put into the forefront mental health for individuals and communities, because how do you trust a system that continuously lets you know it's not to be trusted? There is power in the vote, but we also got to put this as part of the conversation so that folks actually see it, know it, hold their power. I want to conclude this message by saying, get up and vote, young people. It's the law. No cap. No bet. No busy. You feel me? So, I, again, we are at this point in our lives where we're hitting, again, another presidential election. And so many of our day-to-day -day freedoms are being stripped from us unjustly right from up under us and as black people we are known to be the superheroes of america specifically black women are known to have one of the highest voting blocks in america and we are always the ones who stead stay are steadfast and hold fast to the truth and what is justly right for our communities and again i applaud y'all i see y'all i see the work that y'all are doing i see the work that we are doing and we have to continue to push forward now before i go as promised i wanted to talk about this pipeline amongst young black men because it's getting treacherous out here y'all and we are starting again to see this infiltration of individualism when it comes to negotiating for our rights and civil liberties and freedoms within our community so right now we are seeing well okay first we have to talk about how the black community in and of itself is very conservative the thing that people don't realize is how close the black community and the conservative community are it's like they're they're on the other side of a of a paper wall yes like blacks are almost natural conservatives yes <laughs> now, I, I can only say that because you're here, right? So you, you can agree with me. It's true. It's true. I mean, it, just to support what you said, right? At the very basic level, what's important to black people? Um, God, money, and guns. Money! <laughs> That's one thing that black folks and white conservatives got in common. They love them things. So, that supports your art. We historically have a mindset that parallels white people when it comes to conservatism. That's why you see some of so much homophobia, transphobia, um, respectability politics, because we are a reservative community. And this the idea of respectability um, politics comes from this place where black people feel as if, if we do not act and think um independently we act mature we have to dress mature and speak to the highest influence and eloquence other communities i.e other minorities different demographics white community as a whole will look at us and feel as if we are deserving of equality but ladies and gentlemen i'm here to tell you all that just because you are a human on this earth you are deserving of civil liberties and civil rights. You do not have to do all this stuff in order to be justly deserved your due rights. So with this in mind and the understanding that our community is an extremely conservative community, 
we are starting to see the playbook in which these conservative Republicans and MAGA Republicans are starting to chip away at our black voter block. Okay. So we are focusing on these modern attempts to divide the black vote. And we are starting to see this in a lot of different places. And I want to talk about it real quick before I do let you go. So as of recently, we are starting to see a lot of black boys and black men who, although may think conservatively, are starting to vote conservatively. And that is outside of the lines of what black people have done historically. We have always been a voting block that voted Democratic because the Democratic party although they they not doing right by us they are the supporters of us and will do right by us compared to the republican party and i know a lot of black boys and black men are not going to want to hear this but it's not always about voting for what you think will benefit you but it's about voting about what is the greater good for our community conservatives and republicans they are not targeting black women. To them, black women are a lost cause. They can't get our support and they know it. Black women stand strong on their morals and we are unmoving. Conservatives and Republicans are targeting black men. Why? Because black men are hungry for power. Not all, but a lot of black men are hungry for power and they know, conservatives know, Republicans know that if they dangle a little bit of power in front of black men's faces, they're going to choose whichever side can give them the most power. I've said this before, but black men could absolutely be pillars in the black community, but they're choosing not to. They're choosing not to because why? That means they will have to be held accountable for the ways in which they harm and hurt our community. A lot of black men are leaving our communities and choosing the path of least accountability. So we again are seeing the Republican Party have this infiltration within our communities via black boys where they are finding these black men who are opposed to homophobia, who are opposed to trans people within their spaces, who are believers that women should not have the rights and access to abortion. Um, and they are pulling on those notions and those thoughts which are supported by white supremacy. And a lot of these black men are concluding that it is of their best interest to vote Republican. And I just want to bring it to your attention for those who do listen to me, because it is a tactic to divide us and to divide our voting block because our voting block is the strongest. And we also see this a lot in religion as well, like as of recently. The Church of God in Christ just decided to do a partnership, a partnership with the Mormon Church. Listen, this brings uh, our trip here to Salt Lake City to a close. Uh, we've come here and we have met with the leadership of the Latter Day Saints Church. Uh, I've had an opportunity to sit with the first president. That's the head of the church and uh, with uh, members of the Board of Twelve and members of the Seventy Elders. It has been absolutely phenomenal. And we formed some partnerships and we're gonna be a blessing to each other. Uh, the, the Church of the Latter-day Saints and the Church of God in Christ 
and also to humanity, we have come together to discuss some ways where we can impact the world. Stay tuned. Something good is going to happen. I am excited. And this has been a blessing. Now, for those who do not know, the Mormon church is a sector of Christianity that was created in America. Um, they believe that the angel Malachi of Baltimore of Megadome, Megahead, wherever, they believe an angel came up to the founder and creator of the Mormon church and gave him a set of golden tablets as well as the book of Abraham and um, told them that they were God's chosen people. Um, aside from their religious beliefs, they are also up until the last 50 years believe that those who come from African heritage bear the mark of Cain. For those who do not know, the mark of Cain religiously in his religious context was given to Cain after he murdered his twin brother Abel. And the mark of Cain gave him the curse of never being able to die, but to roam the earth in misery. And those who kill Cain or attempted to Cain, attempted to kill Cain would bear this mark and they would have um, a curse seven times seven worse than what Cain bared. So they believe that we as black people are the descendants of Cain and they believe that we are inherently wicked or evil. And they believe that black people up until 50 years ago, this was the ideology of the Mormon church. They believe that black people would not be given access into heaven. So they felt like all black people were damned to hell. I'm not making this up. So why would the church of God in Christ partner up with the Mormon church in order to create an alliance when historically they have proven time and time again that they do not want anything to do with us. In fact, they think that we are lesser than. And it's because these white institutions like the church of the Mormon church is trying to infiltrate within these black spaces to change the ideology and to persuade black people whom they think are not as intelligent or think who are vulnerable to come over and to support their ideologies that they have. See, this is how the devil works. When I tell y'all to have stuff ready, there's a reason because there's very few of us speaking the way I speak. Take ministry serious, that's for everybody. Because we're in the last days when Bishop Drew J. Sheard, the bishop of the Church of God in Christ, not only does his wife Karen Clark and Dorinda make music with Snoop Dogg and Beyonce, not only do they do that and they get a pass, now he's merging with the largest, if it's not the largest, it's the second largest cult in the world. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the Mormon. They have the gold Moroni. See, you know, I thank God for who I am because when I start talking to my wife and different ones, they be like, you know a little bit. My brother, he's famous for saying, you got a scripture for everything. And he wasn't being funny. He said, you got a scripture for everything. And it's amazing. And I thank God for what he's given me in these last days because I taught on Mormonism years ago. It was started by Joseph Smith who said that the angel Moroni, 
who was a man who worked his way up to being an angel, the angel Moroni gave him golden tablets and the book of Abraham aside and apart from the Bible to guide people. He said that the angel Moroni and Jesus Christ and different ones appeared to him and gave him direction. Oh, by the way, all black people, according to Mormonism, are going to hell. Let me tell you what else about Mormonism. Mormonism, they believe that Jesus Christ and Satan were brothers and are brothers. Let me tell you something else about Mormonism. This is just to name a few. They practice polygamy until the 1900s, so they say. But that's why all the sister wives and two and three husbands is all, all based out of Utah. Let me tell you something else that's going to really blow your head across the creek. Because this is heresy. I said it last week that Bishop Sheard was a warlock. I believe in my heart that he is. I'm not changing it. It won't surprise me if he's a mason. Because he said we are coming together for humanity. In the Masonic Lodge, we all had different beliefs. But we came together for a common good. Let me tell you why that's bad. Because the Bible, God broke up the Tower of Babel because everybody was trying to build their way to heaven. He said, let me confuse and confound. And then people went different places, different religions, different, different dialects. Let me teach you some heresy. Mormonism believes that God, the Father, was a man on another planet. He worked his way up to becoming God and is now our God for this realm. But there are other gods in other realms and people are God. Now I hope, my former pastor, now you have preached against everything. You have preached against homosexuality. You have preached against everything except for racism. You have preached against homosexuality. You have preached against abortions. But let me tell you something. This equals, if not rivals, everything you preach. Because now the church of God in Christ is merging with a cult that does not believe like we believe. Now, when we think about whiteness, you have to understand that whiteness is a race that is ever expanding. What is considered white has never stayed the same. In fact, what is considered white has expanded throughout the history of America. Because upon the Europeans' first arrival into America, those who were strictly from the dominant countries of Europe were considered white until the Italians came. And they were looked at as dirty whites. And then they accepted them into the fold. And then you see the Germans who came who were, or, or the women and men who came from Hungary, and they were not considered white until they accepted them into the fold of whiteness. And now you're starting to see this modern exception into whiteness within politics and within laws and legislation. That is why we just had affirmative action overturned because the Asian community is trying to appeal and to come under whiteness, allegedly. So, and you also see this within the Hispanic community. Those who are Hispanic, white presenting, they 
assimilate. They see themselves under the fold of whiteness. So they are voting with that Democrat, that, 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 that whole group of people now. Okay? So now you are seeing these black men who are thinking about themselves individualistically, who want to become closer to whiteness in order to reap the benefits and rewards to whiteness. But if history has not taught us anything, is that them folks do not care about you. They will use you as a pawn. They will wash you up and they will throw you away. And in the first instant, they will do it. They will take that opportunity. Young black men, please listen to me. Stick with the people who love you. Stick with the people who have advocated for you. And if you get an opportunity, get up and go vote. While again, and this is the last time I bring it up, while I was at the March of Washington this weekend, we were listening to speakers. And I heard this one speaker say this so loud and so clear. She said, the state of New York and the state of Mississippi have the lowest black voter turnouts. And that really crushed my spirit because the state of Mississippi has more black people, has the biggest black population than any other state in America. Yet we are struggling so hard and my ancestors have worked too hard and too long for us to be so far behind. Black men, if you have an opportunity to get up and vote, take it. Black men, if you need a ride, ask for, some, ask for somebody. If you need an incentive, if you need a meal, you need something, you let us know. Because your lives, your livelihoods are dependent upon it. When you are encouraging other black people to get up and vote, make sure that you are appealing to the issues in which affect them directly. If we are in an individualistic society, talk about how the changes in legislations and policies impact people individualistically. If you don't get up and vote, they're going to change your paperwork when it comes to spousal support or paying child support. If you don't get your ass up and vote, they're going to cut off your food stamps. If you don't get up and vote, your grandma and them might not have access to their Medicare and Medicaid because these are the issues that will be on the ballots that will impact you just on an individual level. This is not talking about on a local level, your community. This is not talking about on a state level, a regional level, or a national level. This is what will impact you on a day-to-day. So I need you all to take this seriously stand up now prepare now to start educating people on the different politicians on a on a local national and state level prepare them to be prepared to vote on a local state and national level because it's time for us to take back what is ours
young people, it's time to get up and vote. No cap. Democracy is stronger when all people participate. If you run into any problems, make sure you are calling the voter protection hotline at any time. That number is 866-OUR-VOTE. Or make sure you hit them up on their website at 866-OUR-VOTE.gov slash state slash Mississippi backslash. Make sure you're following our organization, Fair Count, on social media. That's at Fair Count. And we will be sharing voting resources, Instagram, YouTube videos. We have a Twitter account, a Facebook account. You need it. You name it. We got it. When voting in person, let me give you a couple tips. And this applies to anyone. Make sure you stay in line. Take your umbrella, a book, some AirPods, take your phone, download some music, movies, your favorite television show. Make sure to bring your own water and snacks and do not share any water or snacks with other people. Bring a lawn chair, bring a towel for the ground. Hopefully you won't have to spend a great deal of time in a line. Remember that the polls must be open from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Central Time on Election Day. A voter in line at the polling place by 7 p.m. must be allowed to vote. Are you looking to vote absentee? Make sure you contact your county circuit clerk as soon as possible in order to see if you're eligible. All mail-in absentee ballots must be postmarked by Election Day, November 7th. Remember, you guys, your voices do matter. Make sure you get up and vote. No cap. Hey, I want to thank you guys so much for taking the time and listening to this episode. Freestyle one, get up and vote, young people. No cap. Um, this conversation is very well needed, as all the conversations that I have, but I feel like this is a conversation for the masses, for every age group within our community. Um, if you are a young person, make sure that you are making it of your utmost priority to be getting up and to vote, to make sure that you are doing your research on your own, as well as a group, because, you know, we are lifting as we climb. Make sure you are educating the people around you, making sure that the people around you are registered to vote, and making sure that you know where your voting places are, okay? Um, for our older generation, please continue to do what you do. Please continue to pass down education, pass down knowledge, and make it as easy as possible for our younger generations to be able to understand the importance of voting, the history of voting within our community, as well as the experiences that you've had with voting, voting rights, as well as doing political processes like marching, um, advocating for our community, etc. I just want to thank you guys so much for choosing to be Afrocentric today. Please remember that Black Lives Matter. Make sure that we are listening and protecting Black women, Black children, and all of those above. And the only thing that you must do in this lifetime is be Black and die. And here at Afrocentric Podcast, we are simply just civilized people, and we're having civilized conversations. In the face of an extreme tragedy, which is that 11 days ago, six people, three educators, 
and three babies, nine years old, were murdered senselessly due to gun violence. They chose to lead and show courage to say that a democracy allows for places where the people's voice will be heard and honored and respected. And they understood the importance, these three, of standing to say that people will not be silenced, to say that a democracy hears the cries, hears the pleas, who hears the demands of its people who say the children should be able to live and be safe and go to school and not be in fear. They said, we understand when we took an oath to represent the people who elected us, that we speak on behalf of them. It wasn't about the three of these leaders. It was about who they were representing. It's about whose voices they were channeling. Understand that, and is that not what a democracy allows? A democracy says you don't silence the people. You do not stifle the people. You don't turn off their microphones when they are speaking about the importance of life and liberty. That is not what a democracy does. G'day, g'day, g'day. Don't skip. Let me interrupt the podcast that you're currently listening to with some blatant self-promotion. What do you get when you mix two Aussie mates, a splash of booze, well, more than a splash, and some microphones? You get Cheers Big Ears, hosted by myself, the Chad, and my mate, Matt, and sometimes, but more often than not now, my missus, Bobby. It's a podcast of adult beverages and not-so-adult conversation. It's not serious, far from it. Well, except for that one episode, but that was just that one. We're available wherever you get your podcast fix. Cheers, Big Ears.